All right. We're back at office hours after a bit of a hiatus. Um, this is really exciting. Uh, welcome back to everybody who's joined us before. Welcome to anybody who's joining us for the first time. This is Apollo Maintainer Office Hours, uh, focusing on Apollo client today, and we're really excited. Um, we're really excited to talk to you about that. I'm Jeff, Jeff Oriyama. I'm an engineering manager here at Apollo GraphQL, serving the Apollo client, Apollo iOS, and Apollo Kotlin maintainers. And I'm joining you out of uh, Connecticut in the USA. Um, Speaking of Apollo client, I am thrilled to introduce uh, Alessia Belisario. Alessia, why don't you tell us a little about yourself, too? Hey, Jeff, and everyone else out there on the internet. Uh, my name is Alessia Belisario, and as Jeff mentioned, I am uh, a maintainer of Apollo client. Uh, I work at Apollo as a staff engineer, and I am coming to you live from New York City right now. A uh, nice overcast, kind of drizzly day. Um, and uh, I think I've just covered the basics, Jeff. Should we, uh, where should we go from here? All right. Well, um, you know, let's talk, let's talk Apollo Client. Um, and uh, what is Apollo Client without being able to have folks be able to download it? And I would love to kind of pick your brain a little bit on something you started working on um, almost a year ago, I guess, at this point. Um, uh, which is the, our release process. Can you tell me more about how like we release Apollo Client today? Because it's pretty involved. Sure. Yeah. And um, this was something that I, you know, it was a task that I gravitated toward after I joined the team uh, because, you know, we were, um, well, right after I joined, um, I was sort of the second person uh, to join the team or be on the team at that at that point in time. Uh, the team had gotten a little bit smaller um, and just naturally uh, Apollo Client, the project's been around for many years as, uh, as many of you know. So, um, you know, I worked on a couple of things out of the gate like defer support, which um, we're probably gonna chat about later, but um, you know, and then I was just like, okay, I. Uh, I see this opportunity to make releasing the library easier so that when our team does, uh, you know, have a couple other folks join us, as was the case in, in the months after I joined, uh, I now work with uh, two great colleagues, Gerald and Lenz, um, who, and we're now shipping, you know, lots of different bug fixes, features, um, and just overall improvements. And so I think a lot of engineers know that when you have a, a larger team, um, you know, even just coordinating with like three is not a large engineering team, but like just coordinating um, with other engineers and trying to keep up a release cadence, automation is your friend. Um, and so we're programmers, we want to automate away the tasks that are tedious, that just take up our time and are appropriate for computers to handle for us. So that's where, you know, I just reach for change sets which is a great library. Um, it's a CLI. It has a, its own GitHub action as well that you can um, pull in. So it, it has some really great um, capabilities and it was the right tool for the job for, for us and allowed us to um, not have to spend our time, you know, handcrafting release notes, um, you know, manually tagging releases on NPM, um, and all, all of that. And, um, and so I think it's helped with just our velocity, you know, making sure that we're, uh, able to keep up, 
a release cadence that is going to bring all the features we're working on to you as quickly as possible. So you can use them right away. Yeah. That's so cool. Um, I know when the first time I saw it in action, I was just I was, uh, mystified. It was just so, so magical. Uh, Cause I remember that process taking a long time and a lot of, you had to memorize a lot of steps and now we're able to just hit the, hit the merge button in, in a lot of ways. And I know a lot has gone into that, but every time we do that, it still feels magical to me. And, um, one of the things that folks might've noticed, and I've noticed this the first, you know, I've noticed this too, when we have like an open like pull request or if we are working on a fix and it hasn't been merged yet, sometimes we'll see like these NPM um, uh, commands that have a version number that's a bit longer. Like it's not just like, like right now we're, we just released 3.8.5, um, but like there's like a 0, 0.0 point something and then like a, like a tag. Can you tell us more about what, what that is and, and, and how that's useful? Sure. Yeah. So that's called a snapshot release, and um, we're using change sets to to generate the uh, you know those uh, releases, and those are ad hoc. We create them using a command. You can you know trigger it in many different ways using GitHub Actions, but in our case, uh, you know a maintainer is able to drop a comment on a specific PR um, that will trigger a snapshot release to be generated. Uh, it has a long um, you know, it, the, the, the command to install it uh, is a little bit longer because we don't want any collisions in the uh, version numbers that we use for these snapshots. So it just tells us what PR number and then there's like a, a, a date stamp, essentially a, a timestamp in there. Um, and uh, and that just allows us to very quickly, you know, um, as we're triaging issues, if we see a report come in, we can you know, uh, just drop a bug fix of what we imagine would address that issue. And, and oftentimes if a bug report or issue is opened with a runnable reproduction, creating that snapshot release of what we are pretty sure is the fix for, you know, a user's, um, problem that they're encountering. Uh, it just gives us that release to be able to say, okay, we, we saw your code sandbox. We generated this snapshot release we plugged in uh, this new version, uh, this one-off version with the fix that we thought was the right one here and allows us to, to confirm and see it for ourselves that yes, indeed, this, this does address this. We will merge the PR right away and get that out in a stable release. Um, so just helping to, to close the loop there and, and runnable reproductions really, really help with this. <laughs> All open source maintainers will, will tell you that's the, that's the key and that is really um, the work that comes from you know the community so yeah that helps yeah like having that like scenario where you can pull it down and see what they see and then um, be able to just npm install a potential fix that just sounds like uh common sense so everybody when you're if you if you ever have a question or experience an issue make sure uh um, one key part is being able to to reproduce it on on our end otherwise it's, it's really hard otherwise so um cool as I understand it too, we 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 tag things like there's the semantic tagging in in npm too, right? And I think that lately we've been using that. Like I think we have next and latest and things like that. What? How should people yes. be tagging their their install stuff for if they're using Apollo client? Yeah, great. That's a great question. So latest is always going to be, and I'm talking about npm tags here, as Jeff said, but um, latest is go always going to be 
the latest stable version of the client. So for example, right now that's eight, uh, 3.8.5, excuse me. And um, so yeah, npm install Apollo, uh, at Apollo forward slash client at latest, that will get you the, the most recent stable version. And we're using the npm tag next for um, the latest release in our uh, upcoming minor release. And so in this case, you know, if you install um, Apollo Client at Next, you'll get our uh, the latest alpha release of 3.9, which we're currently working on. And um, so those are the two main tags I would recommend that folks uh, track. And if you're, uh, we, we have all of the pre-releases as well for the next minor series um, tagged on GitHub. So if you're curious about what changes are in a specific alpha version of 3.9, for example, you can find all of that tagged and clearly indicated on uh, in our GitHub releases. That's awesome. All right. And as I understand it, now we're we've we've invested further in cha change sets too, right? And our browser extension, Apollo Client Dev Tools, you recently took that on. Um, what like obviously we're tagging and everything like that, but that's a little a little bit of a different flow, right? Like, what are we doing on for the Dev Tools here? Yeah, so our uh, the Apollo Client Dev Tools are a, a really interesting project that have been around for a while, and um, and our core Apollo Client team of maintainers has um, sort of taken that on, and we're just modernizing the code base, um, preparing to add some more features there, which is really exciting. Um, but again, uh, to anyone who's ever you know, maintained a browser extension, the release processes can be even more arduous and involve a lot more um, manual work than even just releasing a library on NPM. So, uh, you know, depending on how many extension or add-on stores you want to upload that to, there are nuances for Chrome versus Firefox versus, you know, any others that you're, you're supporting as well. Those are the two that we support in uh, the Apollo Client Dev Tools, but um, yeah, uh, with GitHub Actions and change sets, um, and some you know some GitHub Actions that the community has built for uploading assets to the Chrome extension store and Firefox add-on stores, um, we're now able to really increase the cadence of those releases of Dev Tools as well. So. Yeah, it's pretty cool. In like one minute, you know, whenever we want to cut a release of the DevTools, we press the merge button for our change sets PR, um, GitHub action kicks off, and, and literally it's like a minute, 30 seconds, and it's done. And uh, and then, you know, you'll see it live in the case of the Chrome extension store, like 30 minutes later. Um, that used to take, I don't know, like... Uh, probably 20 to 30 minutes of clicking around before. So it's really nice to <laughs> to just be, uh, not have to worry about that. Yeah. Yeah, I've done one of those releases and it's just, you know, there's a lot. And having had done it in, in the past with other extensions, just, uh, it's so much nicer to be able to do that. And it makes getting, we've already, I think, shipped several different uh, iterations of the, of the extension now. Uh, using that process, which I mean, for a while it wasn't releasing very frequently, so it's it's great to see that um, you know we're putting more and more stuff into users' hands there, and that's I think that's a big part of the picture. Um, exciting stuff. Uh, and for those of you who who haven't used the Dev Tools in a while, um, give it a try. Or if you're not aware of the Apollo Client Dev Tools, give give it a whirl. Um, it can really make a big difference, um, not only in getting things done, but also understanding I think different parts of Apollo Client, like the cache in particular. 
Um, that's how I learned about it when I was a, just an Apollo client user. Um, awesome. All right. Well, let's change gears a little bit. Talk uh, less meta about Apollo client. I want to get my, my hands into a, a feature here. Um, you spent a lot of time recently talk, uh, implementing federated subscription support in Apollo client. Um, and I would love to dive into that a little bit, um, but maybe first for folks tuning in who might not be aware or might need a refresher, what are GraphQL subscriptions? Yeah, that's, uh, I think, the best place to start, definitely. So uh, subscriptions in GraphQL, um, it, subscriptions are one of the three main operation types. Um, so we have queries, mutations, and subscriptions. And subscriptions are best for um, having clients subscribe to updates, um, that are pushed from the server um, that are, uh, you know, where the server can push data to clients that opt into that by subscribing, right? So um, not the best uh, to use in like every single situation. Like, uh, you know, you might think like, oh, I should just have my whole app subscribe to all its data. Um, and as, what we'll, as we'll get into, you know, there's, um, there are different mechanisms and ways for um, routers and subgraphs and GraphQL servers to be able to performantly provide that data to clients. Um, but there's certainly a, a cost there, right? Subscriptions, we want them to be like really low latency um, and highly performant. And so, you know, it really makes the most sense to use them in cases where, uh, like, let's say you want small incremental updates on a large object that your client has uh, is needing updates on, right? Or, um, or you want real-time updates like in a chat application or something like that, that should be really low latency. Um, but in other cases, you might be fine just having a query that is polling intermittently, or uh, you're doing some manual refet refetching on your query occasionally. Um, so I think that's just worth calling out that um, not, you know, it really depends on the UI and your individual application. Um, but certainly those two use cases of like incremental updates uh, or something that needs to be real time, low latency. Those are perfect use cases for GraphQL subscriptions. That's awesome. And so like, you know, subscriptions um, and now like what makes like that federated piece special? What are, why, what, what makes federated subscriptions kind of uh, different or, or unique? Yeah, so when Apollo first started looking at, you know, how we were going to offer um, subscriptions in your SuperGraph, in GraphOS, at enterprise scale, um, as, you know, that that's sort of the, the quality bar and the type of usage that, you know, we need to be able to offer and, and, and support. Um, and so, uh, federated subscriptions just means that your super graph can serve data from, uh, all of its subgraphs. So you'll have, uh, so you have still the, uh, like that great developer experience of having individual backend teams own their own services, be able to contribute to, um, like contribute whatever data or fields to that unified API that clients are going to have to access, you know, all the data that they need to serve a single subscription on a client, um, but that, you know, the Apollo router will be able to handle, um, do query planning, query deduplication, and serve that from multiple subgraphs. 
um, in a hyper, hyper performant way. So um, that's, that's what federated subscriptions are in a nutshell, I'd say. I know a lot of folks, when they think about subscriptions or any kind of real-time data, especially when you're talking about the web platform, a lot of them think to think about like uh, web sockets first. Um, but I'm, I, I understand there's a new protocol um, uh, that, that underlies the client server uh, or the client router in this case, uh, uh, communication here. Um, I'm curious if you could tell us a little bit more about it. It seems really cool. Yeah, so that protocol, as, as Jeff just said, um, is used for clients to talk to the router. And it the protocol is called multi-part subscriptions. Um, and it's, uh, it's really based on, or it actually incorporates the incremental delivery over HTTP specification. Um, and it, it is, it has a little bit on top of that, but um, I, I won't go into like describing the full uh, nitty gritty details of this spec as Apollo, as we've devised it and as we're using it, but it is all in our docs. Um, so if you're curious, you can read all about it there. Um, all about the payload field and how transport errors are handled um, for for anyone who is really curious. But I think the important thing um, to really note is that um, it's using a, a long-lived HTTP connection from the client to the router, um, and the and again the multi-part response format is really similar to and is using the same transport mechanism as um, as we've used with features like Differ. Um, so we're using that multi-part over HTTP communication. We're getting individual uh, chunks of data, individual messages. In the case of multi-part subscriptions, sometimes we're getting heartbeat um, messages from the router to keep that connection open. Um, and at the end of the day, it's really, um, it functions very similarly to like WebSockets or, you know, server sent events. There's just no um, like limitation in terms of the number of open connections. Um, and so, um, yeah, that's, that's part of the, the reasoning of why we're, we're using this, that's, this protocol. Yeah. That's super cool. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. It's whenever you, I don't know. Whenever I see a new protocol, I got into learning about it. So thanks. <laughs> um, like any special configuration that Apollo client users should know when they're setting this up or trying it out? No, there's. Uh, so the the main thing is it was we introduced multi-part subscription support in Apollo client in version three point seven point eleven, and so that's the minimum version that you'll need to use. But otherwise, um, you know you. Uh, you obviously need to be talking to a backend service, a, a router instance that um, that can speak multi-part subscriptions. But um, aside from that, if you're using Apollo Client's HTTP link, uh, then there's nothing else you need to do. You don't have to set up a uh, a sidecar sort of WebSocket link as you would typically have to do with subscriptions if you're using uh, subscriptions over WebSockets. Um, so yeah, just use HTTP link and you're you're good to go. Nice. And if, uh, and, and would I just go, if I wanted to use like the router for this, would, would going to like the Apollo website and signing up there be the place to go to try it out? Like maybe would that be the place to, to check it out? 
Yes, definitely. Uh, you right. can try it out um, by signing up for a free serverless plan. Um, and uh, yep, and all of that is on ApolloGraphQL.com. Cool. Okay, so you mentioned Defer. I would love to switch gears and talk about Defer. Um, you've uh, spoken about that, you've written about it, and uh, I'm curious, um, what is it? What's Defer? Or I should say at Defer, the Defer Directive. <laughs> Yeah, the the defer directive is um, it's near and dear to my heart now because it was really the first feature I worked on after I joined, and um, and it was really interesting. I had to learn a lot about the history of the defer and stream proposal, which is a single proposal to amend the GraphQL spec, which you know has its own history um, and. You know, it's it, and so there was a lot to ramp up on and learn in terms of how the, the GraphQL working group works as well. Um, and uh, all of that was interesting for me. But in terms of what I think is interesting to our audience, um, you know, what what I really love about features like defer, um, it just speaks to, I think, the power of the underlying um, tech, uh, like the underlying kind of shared SDL, having a, a GraphQL, um, you know, uh, like shared specification where we have so many different apps, so many different use cases. And um, and in this case, like I, I think uh, Defer and Stream were originally um, conceived of and tested out and used at Meta and uh which you know they have their own internal implementation of and so there's just like learnings that can be contributed back to um the shared community where we can say okay this is a really interesting idea we have these kind of proof points um of how uh graphql itself can make it easier to deprioritize uh parts of your query or certain fields and um and like that's just such a powerful lever that everyone should have access to that. So, um, yeah. So, you know, it's been a deferred stream have been in the works for a long time and it seems like we're really getting, um, pretty close to them finally being ratified in the spec, in the text of the spec. And that's really exciting. Um, so, um, yeah, I hope I answered your question there, but uh, oh, yeah. in terms of what defer is for and like why, why I think it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I have an elevator pitch like that, so I appreciate it. Um, and so, like, when when should people consider using it? You talked about like subscriptions being a bit like you know you want to focus in and make sure it's matching the use case. Like, where where is Defer the most useful? Do you think when when folks are looking at their at their JavaScript apps? Yeah, so I think Defer can be really powerful um, when you know like. I think you really have to consider um, your application first, right? Because the, the main challenge that Defer helps to solve is the idea that if you have um, a single query, a large query with like many, many fields on it, um, that you may have certain parts of that query that are uh, just, you know, the, the weak uh, link in the chain, essentially, like they're the slowest part of the query and the thing that is usually GraphQL strength, being able to have your UI describe the shape of the data that it needs and make a single network request, then becomes a liability when 
you have just one part of that query, one resolver, one, you know, um, uh, just uh, like one set of fields or field that is just taking longer to resolve. And the idea that like you shouldn't have to um, do a ton of work to split apart your query, to jump through all these additional hoops, um, make a second separate network request just to be able to show something to the user sooner um, because most of the fields would be ready to present if only you could access them, right? So um, I, I think that, uh, like, again, it's a tool in your toolbox. So should you slap defer on everything? Definitely not. <laughs> that would, uh, like, you know, that would cause chaos for sure in your app, right? But, um, like, let's say you have, uh, you have some, uh, like a UI where you show some comments below the fold or something, um, you know, definitely not fields that are going to cause a ton of like layout shift, right? If you're, if your app is, you're saying like, okay, I'm going to defer all the fields that the user is first going to be presented with. That's not going to create a pleasant UX. So I think it's really a, just another tool in the hands of client developers um, that can use it to really improve the performance and user experience when it's wielded in the right way. But it's it's just like any other tool. You really have to find those use cases. So again, like th fields that are below the fold, fields that are maybe data that users can kind of double click into, um, where you they can be lazily loaded, they can be deferred until they're ready, um, and you don't have to you know, do all kinds of, write all kinds of spaghetti code to achieve that. Pretty cool. Um, I, uh, I'm linking also in the chat, or Patrick actually just posted a link to the chat to your talk at GraphQL Conf, which I think got into a little bit more um, detail on that, on what, what, what happens under the hood. So further reading for folks who are listening here, or, or viewing it in this case. Um, awesome. Uh, and if I'm the developer using Apollo client, is it just using, you know, just add the defer directive to the field that I want to see? Is that, is that all I need to do as long as I'm on the 3.7 or higher, right? Is that it? Yes, that's right. That's the minimum version 3.7 and defer. Uh, the, the only sort of catch there is that it can't be defer or applied to individual fields, but those fields just need to be wrapped in a fragment. Um, so a named fragment an inline fragment, um, but it has to be a fragment. Got that. Okay. Interesting. Um, any like kind of, I know like defer is its own, um, you know, is its own directive and it can be like kind of in there, but like when you're talking about react, how do we, is there any like special patterns that are supported now or maybe in the future that, uh, that folks using defer might be able to take advantage of? Yeah. So when it comes to, um, so as I just mentioned, like the fact that defer is, it relies on the use of fragments um, is uh, like the line I'm drawing to react here is that we have a use fragment hook, which was experimental in 3.7. And uh, we removed the experimental label in the 3.8 uh, minor version. Um, and that hook is really useful for just listening to changes it, in Apollo Client's cache for uh, just a specific fragment. Um, but the reason I mention it is because we are looking at 
working on a suspenseful version of Use Fragment in the 3.9 minor release. And um, that would really follow from a lot of the great work that um, Gerald, my colleague, did to um, spearhead and bring uh, suspense support in our React hooks to our new new set of React hooks to Apollo client. But uh, yeah, so that's use suspense query, use background query, um, and use read query as well. And so um, yeah, all of this is to say that like because defer is really driven by like this this use of fragments, and we see we see uh, kind of like many reasons to um, really move the ball forward in terms of like patterns for and ways to use fragments in Apollo client, um, be that the, you know, fragment registry, which was also added recently, um, or, you know, non-reactive, which is a, new, a fairly new directive for, uh, that complements use fragment. Um, but all of this is to say that, like, I think there will be some really powerful patterns um, of, you know, deferring fragments that can then be, um, listened to essentially in all these leaf node kind of react components with like a suspenseful version of use fragment, um, that can suspend and show fallbacks when, you know, those deferred fragments are, are pending and that can happen, you know, in many places across your app, wherever that fragment is, is shared. So, um, yeah, I hope, I hope that answers your question there, Jeff. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I, I understand defer. Um, you were mentioning earlier being you know in the spec conversations isn't quite hundred uh, percent included in the spec, right? It's still um, being. I think the final touches are still being put onto it. What what are the conversations like in the working group at the moment? Like what is what's the status of defer right now? Yes. So there have been some exciting developments even in the last year, and fairly recently, within the last like week or two, I want to say. There is a, the, the reference implementation in JavaScript is uh, GraphQL.js on GitHub or just the, on NPM, it's the GraphQL package. So um, that project has been really, uh, you know, like just so important in, in demonstrating and, you know, as a reference implementation, um, like allowing the entire ecosystem to test out the the sort of um, algorithms, you know, the response format on the client and the algorithm on in a server implementation um, for how deferred queries should be resolved on the back end, um, allowing that to be tested out. And so um, very recently, there was a, a change to the proposed spec um, with, you know, some incorporating a lot of uh, I think really positive changes to the spec proposal, and um, and so that was shipped in uh, GraphQLJS's 17.0 alpha three um, in like a week or two ago. So um, the community is now starting to you know uh, like begin adopting the what may be the final form of the proposal. Um, I I think there's a decent chance of that, but again, I'm just I'm sort of you know, just an observer along for the ride as well. Um, and have been really interested to see like all of the, all the, the changes and improvements that have come from, you know, community feedback and, and, you know, testing it out in projects like Apollo client and so many other projects in the ecosystem. 
so, like so yeah just hat tip to all the maintainers out there yeah that's awesome um let's stick with directives now you, you mentioned earlier um the non-reactive directive and as i understand it that's not a graphql spec directive but a, a client side directive that that's um that's in apollo client um can you give us a brief overview like what is the at non-reactive directive yeah so at non-reactive came out of you know this idea that um you know like when you're if, if you want to render what is you know in in this case like the the use case we had in mind was rendering a list of items right um and there's a common saying in programming that most apps are just glorified lists and i've built many a glorified list app in my day it's just like you you know you're just I rendering about that actually <laughs> <laughs> yeah li lists are super common obviously right we we need to show um we need to show our users collections of things all the time right and so um and so there was this uh yeah, this sort of rough edge or a bit of friction that we wanted to address um, in the sense that, okay, let's say you have your, your parent component that's going to fetch some data with uh, use query um, or use suspense query, right? And you are, um, and then you get your list of people or a list of users, right, that you map over um, and you want those child components, all of those individual, uh, you know, user components that you render to only listen to changes for a given user object, right, in the cache. So if I update user one, I, I, I really don't want my parent to re-render, and I certainly don't want a hundred other sibling components of a hundred other users to re-render. And with use fragment, um, part of the story was there, right? Because you could listen to only the changes for user one, um, but you still had this issue of when user one changed in the cache, that user is part of the query that is going to be updated and, and trigger that re-render re from the parent. And in React, we know the default is that, um, you know, re-renders trigger recursive re-renders throughout your entire React tree. And you have to actively fight there, against that through memoization. That yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that was what we were trying to address with non-reactive. Um, and so you can apply non-reactive to individual fields that, um, that you want to mark as fields that shouldn't trigger a re-render, that your use query um, call can essentially you know, uh, know that, OK, if the user's name or any other fields that you, you do want to fetch initially, um, but on you know any subsequent update can be just discarded, um, that you know you can allow the ch the child components to handle those updates by you know plugging in and listening just directly to that subtree that individual user um, in the cache directly. Um, and so you don't have to worry about use memo or, or sorry, react memo, um, and, uh, wrap your components in, in that, because then you would be receiving the updates in the parent, right? Apollo client would be doing that deep comparison, finding the changes for individual users, doing all that work. 
um, then attempting to re-render and then React would then have to do that comparison a second time and say, okay, let's throw away all of the, the updates to the you know, user components that whose props haven't changed. Um, so instead of doing like all of that work to change one user, um, instead you can just tell Apollo client like, okay, just do the initial fetch for these fields and then ignore, ignore updates to all of, all of these non-reactive fields. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I was about to ask about, about memo and you answered my question. That's, um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing. And, and I think Patrick just posted your blog post on this that you, uh, that you wrote a few, a uh, few months back on the non-reactive. And I think you talked about that distinction between memo that really painted the, the picture for me too. And so that's, that's rad. Um, can you use like non-reactive? So like, obviously react is, is a big deal. Um, but, and, uh, but I'm curious if non-reactive can be used for folks who are writing JavaScript applications, um, but not using React. Yes. So you can also, uh, you can use non-reactive with um, the core, like client.watchquery API. And, um, and so, yeah, I imagine like in other um, community maintained integrations with other view libraries, that um, there are other APIs in, in those libraries that are built on top of Watch Query as well, and those would all work with, with non-reactive. Yeah, that's cool. That's one of the semantic hurdles I had to clear sometimes when I, was, when I first learned about like, reactive variables um, before I joined Apollo. I'm like, oh, okay, like, oh, wait, this is actually something that we can use. Um, and, and, uh, and it's just, you know, that React word is... Uh, has a lot attached to it now. That's cool. Mm -hmm. um, I would yeah. love to pick your brain a little bit on testing, unit testing. As I understand it, you're starting to take a look at, at how folks are testing, take a fresh look at how folks are testing their Apollo client apps today. And um, I know we're still kind of at the early points in that, but it would be great to get kind of a sneak peek as to like what you're looking at there and how, uh, how we see um, our opportunities uh, ahead. So if you've got anything to share there, we'd, we, uh, it would be great to hear about it. Yes. Um, and I personally love the topic of testing. I don't really know why. I've just always uh, kind of geeked out on whatever teams I've been a part of on, you know, uh, like trying to develop, use the best tools and find the best patterns to make it as easy as possible to write tests because, um you know, I think that's one way that a really good developer experience can have an impact on end user experience if, you know, and that's a topic for another time. But I, as programmers, we love dev tools and I love dev tools, obviously, <laughs> but, uh, but I think testing is so important because the easier it is to write tests, the easier it is to, uh, and not just any tests, but good tests. You know, I'm definitely a member of the Kent C. Dodds kind of view on your test should be as close to emulating the, the behavior of your end users as possible um, mm. and, and all that good stuff. So, um, yeah, so for a very long time, Apollo Client has really focused on or, or supplied um, this one main tool called Mock Provider. And, um, and Mock Provider has you know, been the workhorse of Apollo client testing for many, many years. 
Um, but there are some areas to add to the testing story. So for those who don't know, Mock Provider um, is, uh, you know, it, it has to, it, it's a context provider and you have to, you know, wrap your components that you're testing in it and then you provide it, you give it some mocks and, um, and those mocks have to match your query and variables perfectly. There can be certain kind of gotchas around, um, you know, your component updated, but you didn't update your mocks and there's like missing fields. And, um, and so it's, it is just, uh, in that sense, like it can be, it can feel a little bit brittle for certain testing, um, needs or use cases. Um, and so, yeah, so what, what I'm looking at these days is something in, in the vein of like, uh, more schema driven testing approaches. I would really recommend there was a great talk recently by Stephanie Saunders, uh, at Coinbase from GraphQL conf, um, all about testing and, and some of the challenges they faced at, uh, at Coinbase. That was really just right up my alley of things I, I was thinking about right now. And, um, so, yeah, so I will have more to, to say to offer publicly um, in the way of uh, kind of some more specifics here, but we definitely would love to also provide a, a schema-driven approach for testing where you can set some default values in terms of, you know, scalars in your schema, and you can write sort of resolver-style um, mocks that are just uh, a little more dynamic and, and flexible um, and uh, and also allow you to test the code in your link chain because that is one huge um, limitation of mock provider. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, a lot of times I think, but when I think of patterns that folks could leverage more in their apps, the link chain comes to mind. And having something, I know if it was it was yeah, increasing the testing surface area there seems really really exciting to me personally as a, a Paul client user. So awesome. Well, thanks for the, the sneak peek there. Really looking forward to uh, to hearing more about what you have to say there in the uh, in the coming weeks and months. Um, and speaking of the coming weeks and months, uh, I understand you've been very busy on the conference circuit uh, this season. And um, uh, I'm curious where uh, folks might be able to catch your next uh, public speaking engagements. Um, anything in particular you wanted to share about that? Sure. Yeah, I will be next week. I'll be at GraphQL Summit in San Diego. So I'm excited for that one. I'll be speaking about defer there. And then my colleague, uh, Gerald and I and Lens as well will all be at uh, React Advanced in London. Um, and uh, we'll be speaking there. Lens is doing a workshop, I believe. Uh, we'll, we'll be around at the, at the conference. So we would love to meet anyone else who will be there. Um, we will also be um, Gerald, myself, and Jeff, I believe you're you're going to be attending React Summit US as well, since it's in our neck of the woods. Um, yes. <laughs> ho hopefully, I'm not uh, scooping Glad you on that one. I have one in driving distance. No, no, I'll be there. Yeah, it's it's nice to be in driving distance there or, or train riding distance. Yes. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one in November. And then uh, Gerald and I will also be at uh, the Richmond, Virginia JavaScript One Day Conference, which we're super excited for as well, also in November. Um, but uh, yeah, Jeff, you are also you also have some speaking coming up, right? And when is that? Please remind me. Yeah, I'm giving a lightning talk about GraphQL at uh, Lead Dev uh, West Coast in Oakland, um, the week of uh, which which is held uh, the 17th and the 18th of October. 
So looking forward to that. It'll be my first lead dev conference. So pretty excited about it. Um, and it's nice to talk about GraphQL in that, in that forum. So, um, yeah, but we're really looking Definitely. forward to hearing more from you, more and more from you in the, uh, in the coming months and, and the whole Apollo crew. Um, Awesome. In the meantime, is there any place in particular folks should find you? Um, is there a social media or anything like that that you want to tell folks about, or, or just uh, just give a shout on uh, on the Apollo client uh, GitHub? <laughs> Where's the best place to find you? Yeah, GitHub is great. I, I'm not super active on on social media these days. Um, yeah, I have a website, ls.co. It has my email. I, you know, so feel free to uh, to contact me. GitHub, email, whatever works. I'm sort of, uh, yeah, getting a, you know, whatever, like not full, full snail mail, but I'm sort of taking a step back from um, the the always on kind of social media. I've heard that a lot from people lately. I don't know. What about you, Jeff? Like any changes in yeah, your habits no. lately? Oh, and lately, not really. I, I think um, I, I had stopped most social media a few years ago and then, um, you know, started using, I think, uh, well, the site formerly known as Twitter. Um, I think again, once like with a fresh account, like once, um, I knew I'd be working in, in open source. I just thought, well, I, I'm used to hearing about open source from here. So I thought I'd, I'd, uh, I'd start a presence again there, but I'm not super frequent on it. Um, but it is, you know, it's one thing I tried threads too. Um, and I think that that has promise. Um, I don't know. Yeah. It's always a question, right? You always have to find that line that you draw for yourself. Um, yeah. But yeah. Also, yeah. give us a shout on the Apollo Discord. That's, uh, that's something where we're always eager to help out and hear what folks have to say about about things. So, all right. Well, I think that that'll that'll do it. Anything else for our audience before we uh, we say adieu for today? No, just thanks for the conversation, Jeff. And I would, yeah, I, I'll, I'm usually on discord uh so that is also i forgot to mention that but thanks for bringing that up uh we love mm -hmm. to hear from from folks on discord so yeah hope to see everyone in person online um and talk to everyone soon awesome and i feel like i should also mention this uh the recording from this will be available on um in many places where you are used to getting podcasts now there's an audio version of this uh, so if you're on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts is how I usually hear it said on, <laughs> on shows nowadays. Um, go ahead and check it out, uh, the Apollo Client or the Apollo GraphQL uh, podcast. Um, thanks, everybody. And thanks, Patrick, for uh, for producing. Yeah, thanks, Patrick. Thanks, everyone.